Welcome back to another episode of The Extras, uh, where we answer your questions from the Bible. In particular, we engage with the Sunday sermon that's just happened in St. Paul's Anglican Carlingford and North Rocks. And I am Candy, your host, and today I'm joined by the preacher on Sunday, Peter. Hello. Hey, hey Candy. Hello, everyone. Peter, what did we... Um, what did you preach from on Sunday? And could you recap with us what was the main point from that sermon? That's, yeah, yeah. So preached on Sunday from Matthew chapter 18, working our way through Matthew's gospel. And Jesus is talking about what life in his church looks like. Not a place where we're climbing over one another to be the greatest, but actually we're a place where, like Jesus, we are content to put others' interests ahead of our own. And in particular, where we are engaged in considerate care for fellow disciples, particularly encouraging them along the path to discipleship rather than making them stumble and fall off of it. Hmm. Um, I wasn't there for night church, but Peter, there's a comic card here saying, I'd definitely be interested in seeing your version of Ninja Warrior. Sounds quite hilarious. So Peter, have you been in Ninja Warrior? Is that where this comment's coming from? Uh, yes, that's um, that's why I have this powerful physique, Candy. <laughs> uh, my version of Ninja Warrior is avoiding uh, the household detritus in my hallway and trying not to trip over it. That's about the most I can manage. Not like uh, our brother Mike, you know, charging up a you know, 15 foot wall or something like that. Yeah, so Mike, good on you, keep it up, brother. Now, Peter, you asked us quite a great question to finish up in the sermon where Jesus warns us about the seriousness of sin and the consequences of hell and telling us that we need to get rid of sin in the same way that if your, you know, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. And you asked what would stop you from running to the very end. I thought as we start this podcast, on this week's sermon could do you mind sharing peter your reflection on that for yourself yeah you know as i think about it i i think uh we face sort of different challenges at different stages of the journey don't we i mean there are different things that are more likely at different times to to take us off the path um, something uh for me that i think is something that i have needed to uh avoid stumbling over and um need to now and I think we'll need to in the future is just just I suppose the idea that serving God is a sort of a, um, a duty you kind of grit your teeth and you get on with it you do what you're supposed to do you do what you ought to do uh, it seems to me that uh, over the long term that's a good way to get um, tired and a bit grumpy in the Christian life mm. uh, not serving out of the joy of salvation but out of a sense of obligation and I, I, I really do think that's a um, something for me personally that I need God's help to to avoid that obstacle, that pitfall, that stumbling block, and uh, so I can keep going. I can. I have definitely fallen into that trap before of, of feeling mostly obligation and a sense of this is what I should be doing, rather than this is something I get to do or mm. something I really feel a lot of joy doing. So yeah, I resonate with that. I think for myself, thinking about what would stop you from running to the very end, I remember my trainer from back when I was in college once said that the two great things that stops Christian from going one is the carrot and one's the stick the carrot being the seduction of the wealth uh, things like I think for me things like comfort I remember once walking with Lachlan across the beach and seeing all these beach tie houses and we're like oh how great would it be you know to live in one of those and I have this moment where I kind of was reminded that in heaven it will be better than this mm -hmm. but it's so easy to sort of focus on the here and now and 
you know, either become envious or make decisions in life that are not gospel driven in order to acquire the beach house. Right. Um, not that it is necessarily sinful to have a beach house, but it's about how you follow Jesus and have gospel priorities in life. And then the other one is the stick. So either the carrot or the stick. And I, I think the persecution or the sufferings in life can, you know, leave you bitter, angry, disappointed, or withdrawn. And I think for us, definitely, like you were saying, there are different parts of life when there are different challenges. I think for us, or for me personally, maybe not so much for Lachlan, um, you know, over the past years of wrestling with um, infertility and thinking through praying to God and knowing God can answer, seeing God's power in the Bible, but then not really getting the answer that I wanted in my prayers, that definitely, I think, I rather than being bitter and angry about it, I think what I did was I kind of withdrew or was not as fervent in my prayer. Um, and so, yeah. So I think what would stop you from running to the very end? I think for me, it's like you say, it's a variety of different things in life. But yeah, I think at the moment it will be when the baby comes, God willing, how will we adjust to that big change and whether or not we would still have God as a center or, you know, have a child as a center, which I think would be very easy for that to happen. Yeah. So on to questions from the passage itself. Peter, we've got a couple of questions about metaphor because you talked about how we're not to literally, you know, gouge out our eyes or to literally cut off our hand. Mm. But the question comes, at what point does Jesus transition to a metaphor? How can we be sure he's not being literal? Yeah, it's a really good question. I'm really glad that somebody's asked it uh, because when we read the Bible, we're reading God's word to us in human words. So God speaks to us in the Bible at the very same time as human authors have written using human language and human forms of expression. And these things are going together. So the Bible is God's book, but it's also a book that people wrote. And so we need to hold both of those things together. So because the Bible is God's book, it's important that we listen very carefully to what God says. Uh, the Bible has authority over our lives uh, because it's God's word. God has authority over our lives. And sometimes the way that people try to avoid, uh, to evade God's authority over their lives is to say, well, this part of scripture that, this part that I don't like, or I find hard in this way or that, probably this is a metaphor. We yeah. don't have to take that literally. Uh, and it's a strategy actually for avoiding God's authority. Yeah, we could say, well, Jesus, he can't really have risen from the dead. That's too much of a miracle. So it must be a metaphor, you know? That's so, right. That, I mean, yeah, how do we know that we shouldn't, we're not doing the very same thing to this passage? That's right. Um, well, so it's important that we don't evade God's authority by taking mm. his words uh, as a metaphor. But it's equally important that as we read, we don't equate taking God's word seriously with taking every part of the Bible in the most straightforward, literal sense that it can possibly be intended. Um, you know, just to, to give a, a silly example, uh, you know, uh, God is my rock. Now, is, 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 God, <laughs> is God sort of hard, a, sort of a, a silicate composite that you can chip off with a hammer? And carry in your pocket, you, you know? Carry in your pocket as my rock? Of course, of course not. Of course not, he isn't. Um, and so, you know, that's uh, a metaphor. And so what, because human words are used, and because metaphor is a crucial part of human language, mm. and in some ways really woven into the fabric of all human language, uh, we need to be attentive to metaphors as we go. Now, 
in this particular case, it's helpful if we're just using you know, our kind of reading skills, our logic, as we do when we read any kind of human expression, we're thinking about this. You know. So is, is Jesus talking about your hand or your foot, uh, literally amputating it and, and, and hurling it from you? Well, and let's kind of test that proposition. Uh, in what sense would your hand or your foot or your eye cause you to stumble? Now, if we take that ultra literally, um, how can your eye cause you to... St you can't trip over your eye. Mm. Um, you know, maybe try to physically perform that. Let us know if you manage to do it. But it seems very hard to trip over your eye. So it's a metaphor in some sense. Now, is it sort of saying metaphorically if um, the act of seeing causes you to stumble, uh, causes you to sin? Like perhaps you are looking at an internet site you oughtn't to look at, uh, or you're looking at a, at a person in a lustful way you shouldn't be looking at. Your eye has caused you to stumble in that sense. You ought to cut your eye out and throw it away. It's better to have one eye than with two eyes to go to hell. But if we think about it very hard, if you tear out one of your eyes... You still have your other one. Yeah. The other one's still there. And if you right? rip it out, you still have your mind that can replay things you've seen. <laughs> That's right. So it's not like only one of your eyeballs is the lusting eyeball, and if you can throw that one, the other one will be fine. Um, the, the language breaks down if we attempt to read it as literally as that. So we assume that Jesus is making good sense, but he's not using literal language to make that good sense. He's using metaphorical language to make that sense about the seriousness of sin and the need for us to... Uh, remove sin to do away with sin uh, from our lives at any uh, at any cost to ourselves so it's really reading carefully using our minds using our language skills um, to read the human words of the Bible so that we can hear uh, God's divine message to us mm. in verse 4 it talks about the greatest in the kingdom of heaven does this mean there are hierarchies in heaven uh, in that case who did, how do you get to be the top dog, I guess? Or does this mean our works and actions will earn us a higher place to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Yeah, um, it's possible to read it that way. Again, you know, Jesus does talk about being the greatest, uh, but we need to use our, again, our reading skills and look at, say, the context of what's going on here. Um, Jesus, uh, ha we're coming off the back of a section where Jesus' disciples have been shown in all kinds of ways to really not quite be on the same page as him. Jesus says, uh, yes, I'm the Messiah, I'm going to suffer and die. Peter rebukes him and Jesus says, you're speaking under the influence of Satan here, Peter. You're, 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 you're not telling the truth. Um, or you're, you're not uh, speaking what God says. You don't have in mind the concerns of God. Uh, similarly, the disciples are, are, are banned more than once from talking about what they've seen because they just can't be trusted. They're not on the right page. Uh, they can't heal the boy because of their lack of faith. So there's a, a series of failures of discipleship in the context. And I think we can read this as another one, this idea of asking who the greatest is. And that actually fits well with the context because Jesus, uh, Jesus doesn't sit them down and say, listen, everyone, here's how to be great. It's their question, and he actually subverts it. He says, you want to be great? Look at this little baby. There's your great one. Mm. Be like that. He's not... So the question is not trying to be like, this is literally how you become great. It's because they've asked, how do we become great? And Jesus is taking, taking that language and subverting it. 
Absolutely. So Jesus is not giving them a program for greatness. He's actually showing them that their program of trying to become great is a silly idea, and he's got something else in mind for his faithful disciples. Mm. Thank you, Peter. Uh, we've got another question here, which came from Morning Church. Um, it, it's asking, where do we draw the line between a church culture that seeks to encourage others with our actions? Because in the sermon you talk about, and also in the passage itself, it talks about how we can impact each other and be culture shapers in terms of what we expect of following Jesus. So how do we draw that line between wanting to encourage with others with our action, but also not putting on a facade and trying to do all the right things for fear of being judged by others? So how do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think it's such a, a valuable question and we talked about it a bit at Morning Church and I'm really glad to have the chance to speak about it a little bit further. Uh, because I think it is a real temptation for us when we um, have this idea of a community where everybody is kind of uh, keeping watch over everybody, uh, everyone is seeing the way that they behave, um, and we're conscious that the impact that we may have on others, and particularly that our sinful behaviours, attitudes, actions, uh, may have on other people, we can be tempted to say, oh, well, I need to really um, scrub myself up before I come to church. I need to make out at least, you know, I need to fix everything in my life, or at least make out like everything in my life is fixed, like I'm a sort of a spiritual hero. Uh, and it's very easy for us to fall into this trap of coming to church, assuming that this is the place where all the spiritual heroes are, and we need to pretend to be like them. Uh, we talked about in the sermon about how that's just not the case. Church is the place where people who still battle against sin come to ask God for forgiveness and help and to encourage one another to put sin aside and to keep going. It's a place full of sinners. Always the temptation is for us to pretend that we are the exception to that. But it doesn't please God if we're hypocrites. You know, Jesus strongly speaks against those religious people who make out on the outside like everything is fine and tell other people what to do, uh, but inside are, are full of wickedness that they haven't dealt with, that they haven't acknowledged to God. So that kind of hypocrisy doesn't please God. And it's just so damaging for us as well. And if we come to church, and church is a place where we feel we can't be our true selves, we feel that pressure to be this kind of fake, uh, better, religious, godly version of ourselves, uh, that is either going to feed into pride or despair for us. It's just no good. And so I think this is a real important spiritual discipline for us, each individually and together as a church culture, that we are willing to be imperfect followers of Jesus and to let others see that, not to try to hide and be fake, uh, but to say, yeah, I do struggle on the path. I fail and I need God's forgiveness and I need you to bear with me and I need your help and encouragement. Pray for me. Mm. Uh, we need to be that kind of a culture. So the temptation to put the facade up is always there, I think, for us in our churches. And uh, we honour God by choosing not to play that game yeah because and i think yeah i think even just sort of thinking i wasn't planning this exactly but um even thinking about at the start when we talk about what would stop us from running to the very end even um, as those who you know are pastors and and um, leaders we also struggle with sin mm. and just being open and honest about that because we all start with grace we all start with god forgiving us and we continue to need his forgiveness. So it's no good to kind of come to church acting as if we don't need it. <laughs> because the reason why we're even in church in the first place is because we 
have been forgiven and we continue to need God's forgiveness and his grace. So I guess it's a bit of an assumption. I also find it so helpful in the Bible when you read of the heroes of faith, like you read about Abraham and his failure mm. as a husband. Um, his, uh, you read about David, um, but even in the New Testament, you read about Peter who gives in to the fear of men and doesn't eat with the Gentiles mm. and Paul has to rebuke him to his face. Mm. So just seeing that the Bible is littered with sinners and the Bible doesn't shy away from talking about the reality of sin you know um and poor you know but for the grace of god i am what i am um that's that being really true the next question is talking about serving other christians peter do you have any tips on how we can be doing that aware of people who are different to us so uh, this particular question talked about um how can we better serve other Christians without being a stumbling block to the minorities and be sensitive to their needs? I guess maybe that boils down to potentially, how can we be aware of people who are different to us and not being a stumbling block to them? Yeah, um, it's a great question. It's kind of a huge one, isn't it? Because uh, we're all different to one another at church. Uh, I think uh, I think we've become we've become more conscious in our culture, haven't we, over recent years? about uh, the way that you know, being in a, uh, in a majority group or a, a group that sort of dominates an institution or a, a culture or something like that um, gives us all kinds of, uh, well, privilege is the word we use for it. It just means that things are sort of set up for us and tend to go our way. And uh, often it can be very difficult to us, if that is our experience, to understand what it's like for somebody uh, who's not in that position. And so uh, I think as Christians, uh, though we we may not uh, agree with all the kind of conclusions that are drawn from that by uh, the figures in our culture, I think there's actually something in there that we want to embrace and we want to say, uh, yes, God loves every single one of his little ones. God cares about each of the little ones. God doesn't want any of them to be damaged through our carelessness. And so it's actually appropriate for me to seek to understand the experience of those in church who are different than I am. And perhaps especially those uh, who uh, are not in the majority or the things don't aren't automatically catered to them. So uh, I think it's important uh, for uh, men, although men, um, are not necessarily the overwhelming majority of St. Paul's members, um, still uh, in lots of ways things are, um, can, are often set up in a way um, that suits men better than women and I think it's appropriate for men to be asking you respectfully of, of, of women, um, what's your experience of being a woman at this church like? You know, How well as Christian brothers are we going at caring for you, our Christian sisters, what kind of things are we doing that just makes life harder for you than it needs to be in the church? Mm. Uh, that would be one way I would encourage my brothers to um, be asking sisters, you know, how can I love you better as a, as a sister in Christ? Um, for those of us who are from um, Anglo culture, uh, it, it's right for us to try to understand a little bit about what it's like to be a migrant, or what it's like to be the child of a migrant, uh, and how that shapes our experience of 
church. Now, that might be something that we've never really thought about. If we are just um, you know, Australian-born Anglos, we just might not be aware that lots of the ways we do things are a bit weird and sometimes hard for our brothers and sisters who don't come from the same cultural background as us. Now, this is not to say, uh, let's leap headfirst into any kind of identity politics we encounter out there in the culture. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying I think it's appropriate for us uh, to be having conversations within the church, um, on the whole church level, and as individuals as well, just saying, you know, brother, sister, what's it like for you here? And how can I care for you? Mm. Thank you, Peter. That's very helpful. I think um, one of the things I really, uh, one of the parts in the Bible really love is just um, Romans 12 and all the different sort of commands you get, the one another language. But, you know, you've got, um, you know, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, keep your spiritual fervor, serve the Lord. But, you know, even things like outdo one another in showing honor, be devoted to one another in love. Mm. It's very hard to do that if you don't understand the other person. Uh, and, a part of understanding and being able to honor another person is understanding you know in what way would they feel honored and what way would they feel dishonored and so i think a big part of that is a listening and so i think peter what you've said about asking questions and listening is very helpful in, in that um yeah in understanding people who are different to us so i feel like i have i have to do that a bit as well so as someone who is a migrant and, and you know all of that i guess i did a lot of that when i first migrated here trying to understand this new country i found myself in but um i think there's still a lot that i don't understand and so yeah it's it's important to ask questions and so that we can love one another well and honor christ in that uh i think the last question is about um loving people who are different to us and I think that's it, actually. That's that's our, our extras today. Sorry, that was a bit abrupt. <laughs> um, Peter, what are we looking at this coming Sunday? Yeah, well, we're continuing on in Matthew chapter 18 as Jesus speaks about life in the kingdom, speaks about his church. Uh, we're going to hear more about the Father's concern uh, for the little ones. It is not the Father's will that any of his little ones should perish. And what that actually looks like, Jesus says, is a community that is committed to gently, respectfully, but firmly warning one another against sin and praying for one another and turning one another back into the good path. Thank you, Peter. Are there? Could you leave us possibly with one question that might be good to think about as we launch into this Sunday that you know those of us who are listening to the extras could have a bit of a mull over? Yes, great, uh, great question. Uh, I wonder... Have you ever, or in what circumstances, would you be prepared to go and speak to a Christian brother or sister about their behaviour and tell them that you didn't think they were doing the right thing? What would be the best way to do that, and when would you do it? Thank you. Thank you so much. That's really helpful. Thanks, Peter. Okay, thank you, everyone. Goodbye. Bye.